0: Carnell Williams at the tailback, they'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25, Cuts an inside. Perfect, 35, 40, there goes Cadillac. To the 50, to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 15, 10, go crazy, Cadillac, go crazy. Touchdown! Now they can play a little safer, but they're not going to. Nix is back, throws it downfield, Touch, touchdown, Williams! A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap in the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Red Cup Auburn Podcast. My name is Noble, and as always, I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Uh, Today, we're going to kind of be talking about Auburn's big win against Missouri. We're going to talk about a little bit of the Baylor matchup. We're going to talk about the football schedule that dropped today. So we got a lot planned, but let's jump right into it. Wheeler, what were your initial thoughts about Auburn's upset win on 12th-ranked Missouri? Well, I thought it was a very entertaining
1: game to watch um it was good to see the team win a close game um especially with the Baylor game coming up this week um it was definitely a big you know a situation where you wanted to win obviously you always want to win but you know leading into a weekend where you're going to play the number 2 team in the country on the road um <clears throat> i think beating the number 12 team at home kind of was a nice warm up for that um I thought it was good to see Sharif, you know, really racking up the points again. Um, he was obviously incredible, as he always is. I mean, he was plus 20 when he was on the floor and Auburn won the game by six. I mean, that that's like an unheard of plus minus for that, like, margin of victory. Like, if, that may be one of the best that I've ever heard. Um, so it will be interesting to see what approach Baylor takes to stopping Sharif because it seems like Bruce and Sharif and the coaching staff seem to be able to when they you know actually see something happen they're able to kind of coach out of it so obviously Arkansas did the uh the double teams on Sharif and the times that Mizzou tried to do that to him last night it was clear that Auburn had worked you know in practice on how to break the double team and kind of setting up some plays in the backcourt that got the ball, you know, basically he taught the other guys how to play four on three. And it was like, if they're double teaming Sharif, then somebody should be open. Um, Mm -hmm. Mizzou also tried to do the deny Sharif the ball. Um, And it worked with limited success. I think probably the biggest thing that it helped was it, forced Auburn to slow down so even though Sharif eventually got the ball um, they realized that Auburn was not as good in the transition um, or not as good in our half court offense as we are in transition so I don't know Baylor is very good defensively like that's kind of their trademark especially recently their offense has not been great Um, former Auburn player uh, Davion Mitchell is their starting point guard and in the post game last night, Bruce said that they have the best defensive guards in college basketball, um, or some of. I don't think he said they were the best because um, obviously we saw Gonzaga this year. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited. I definitely think there's a lot more hope in the Auburn faithful that we can knock off Baylor this week than we could knock off Gonzaga. Um, obviously, it's the same team with. <laughs> I mean, it's not the same team. Sharif is just unbelievable. I know that we Mm -hmm. don't have Justin Powell, and we had Justin Powell against Gonzaga. Justin, great guy, probably one of the freshmen of the year in the SEC, but Sharif is the Cam Newton of of basketball. I mean, he wears the same number. He's literally Bo Jackson, Cam Newton. Like, he's probably the best basketball player Auburn's ever had. And I know that Barkley, you know, went on to have a really good – NBA career and Sharif you know may not match the success that Barkley had in the NBA but just like looking at the Auburn perspective Sharif is by far just the most ridiculously game-changing taking just a terrible team and making them really good.
0: Yeah and I think to build on what you said you know like you know, going into that Gonzaga game, like I don't think many of us really expected to win that game. I think we were all just like, well, let's see how close we can get it, and it just wasn't close at all. We got absolutely destroyed. But you look at a lot of guys that have severely improved how they've played throughout the season, and you combine that with an elite presence in Sharif Cooper, and it just really puts everything together. Like what you were saying with Charles Barkley, like you know, you know, Chuck's obviously an Auburn legend, all that. But there is a legitimate argument that Charles Barkley isn't even the best player, like, isn't even the greatest player to play at Auburn. you know? Like, statistically, Chuck Person had better stats. I know that nobody really wants to admit that because nobody really likes Chuck Person. But – more arrests. Yeah, exactly. But if you look at, like – if you look at the, a guy like Sharif Cooper, it's just – watching him is just so insane. Like, just the, the vision he had. Like, you look at a guy like Jared. You know, Jared was one of the best point guards we've had in a long time. And it's just like I, you know, I watch every game that Jared played at Auburn and I've watched every game that Sharif has played and it's really not even that close. Like Jared Harper is an NBA, he is in the NBA. He was a great player at Auburn, a great player. And Sharif is just so much better than him, and I don't really think it's that debatable. Like the only thing that J- like Jared has that three point shot, but Jared didn't have the court vision that Sharif does. Like not even close. Jared didn't have the defense that Sharif does. Like Sharif's a small guy, but he's not a bad defender. Like so, I, I think that it's just it's so crazy just like watching him play. And you look at it like the guy put up 28 points, and he did, and he only shot two threes, and he didn't make one. And you know, like a lot of people are gonna point to his twenty-one free throws that he shot, but the thing is, like that's that's a part of the game now. Like in today's points. I mean exactly. In today's basketball, like drawing fouls, it, it is a legitimate thing. You look James Harden. James Harden won multiple scoring titles in the NBA at the highest level of basketball doing exactly what Sharif just did against Missouri. He draws fouls, gets to the line, and scores, and he makes his defender scared to defend him. And that's when he, you know, James does the step-back three, whereas Sharif kind of just drives to the rack. But it's like you look at a guy, and that's why, personally, I think that undersized guards, in college basketball at least, are extremely valuable because if you drive in – and you're good at finishing and all that, Like, if you're going to get hit, you look at a guy like like Cade Cunningham. If Cade Cunningham, a big, bigger guard at Oklahoma State, if he and Sharif do the exact same thing on a drive, Sharif is going to get, when they both get hit with the same amount of force, Sharif is going to go flying a lot more than Cunningham will. And it's not necessarily flopping, but it looks a lot worse because Sharif is just so small. So yeah. it's just like having an undersized guard is still good because they're going to draw more fouls when they drive in. So I think that that was a just a big thing that Sharif really exploited against Missouri, and we'll see if he kind of exploits it against Gonzaga too. I mean, uh, Baylor too. But you know, looking at our shot percentages, I thought it was like it was crazy because like we shot twenty eight percent from three. Like how many? How many? Auburn basketball games recently, you know, in the past couple of years, really, have we beaten a really good team shooting 28% from three? Virtually none. Exactly. Like, the whole, the whole mantra of the team ever since Bruce got here was we're going to put up a lot of threes, we're going to make a lot of threes, and that's how we're going to beat you. And this team was not like that at all. It really reminded me of the Kentucky game from last year. You know, go to the line a lot, play, you know, good defense. Speaking of good defense, Missouri shot the ball 76 times. They had 82 points. Like, that is really good defense. They really? shot 38% from the line or 38% from the field, 24% from three, and 66% from the free throw line. I mean, it was just really good defensive performance. Uh, I was definitely, definitely happy with a lot of those guys. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this, you know, some individual player performances, you know, Babatunde Akinbala, eight minutes, five blocks, four rebounds. I mean, that's a really, really good stat line. I mean. Right.
1: Coming off the bench. I mean, that's just. Exactly.
0: That's exactly what you want from a guy, you know, coming off the bench as a big, especially. Uh, And then Javon Franklin, like. He came in against Arkansas, and, you know, he hit those threes, and, you know, even though he lost that game, he he provided a spark. And today – or yesterday, he played three minutes, but he had four points. Like, that—that that is exactly what you want from a guy like that. If he can come in for just three minutes and score four points, like per minute scoring, he did the best out of everybody. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like, you know, yeah, like you look at the stat line, you're like, oh, he had – He had four points, big deal. It's like, well, if you're playing three minutes and you get four points and you play good defense while you're out there, you know, coach is going to be happy with you. So I just thought that it was a a good performance from a couple guys on the bench and a good performance from guys who, you know, we know that they're good and we know they step up, but they stepped up in bigger aspects and in different parts of the game. Like you look at JT Thor, three of five from three. You know, there aren't many games where he shot five threes in a game, but he needed to because Allen was a little cold from three today or yesterday. So JT needed to hit some threes and he hit them. And that really kind of gave us the, the push that we needed.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you think uh, Sharif watching him, like you were talking about comparing him to Jared. I mean, Jared looks like a guy who's playing like basketball. Sharif looked like a, my player. Mm -hmm. And it looks like he has the view of the court that's, like from the sky it's ridiculous um Alan, I thought Allen did a really good job playing with um several fouls mm-hmm. um I thought Jalen did a really good job playing with several fouls um and then yeah like you said Chris Moore I mean stepping up getting 11 points having a career high
0: I definitely think Chris Moore definitely had a big, big time performance. Uh, his offensive efficiency rating these past two games have been really high. I think that he's he's a guy that you know after he got hurt, it was kind of a it was. Almost, I don't want to say that we forgot about him. But it was almost like when he was missing the games, you weren't really, like, feeling it, like, when Justin Powell was out or when Sharif was out. It was like, okay, it's obvious that they're missing somebody. Whereas, I feel like Chris Moore, it was more like there, was, there were adjustments that had to be made, but it weren't, they weren't really noticed as much. But now that he's coming in after that injury and he has been playing really well, especially on the the scoring side, so – that's definitely good. And I think 14 minutes for him is a career high in college. I could be wrong about that, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that's the most he's played this season.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he was bringing it on both sides of the mm-hmm. court. So, I mean, I can definitely see why he was getting more minutes.
0: But, yeah, just top to bottom, great game overall. Uh, you know, going into Missouri – or going into Baylor, I keep saying – I keep mixing the, the teams up. But, you know, going into Waco uh, this weekend, it's a big game. But it's – you know, I was kind of I was listening to uh, I was listening to Andy Bertram interview Bruce before the game uh, last night, and he was kind of talking about how he's had to change his you know like halftime speeches or whatever because it's like you he went back to the game against Arkansas and when we go into the half up twelve. You know, Eric Musselman is going to be telling his team, you know, this is what you worked for all season. You're trying to get to the NCAA tournament. You have to win this game. And that's going to give their, his guys, like, an extra vigor to, like, go in there. Whereas, you know, Baylor's going to be – they're going to be telling them, you know, you can't lose this game and be the one seed, you know. Like, if you want to be the one seed, you need to win a game like this. So, it's kind of like they're, they have a lot more reason to play the game, whereas Bruce is just telling his guys, like, well, do you want to win? So, it, you know, and as much as – you know, it's not it's not anything, like, against our guys, but it's like it's harder to get motivated when there's nothing to – when there's really nothing to play for. So, I think that'll be an interesting thing to kind of monitor in this game. But, you know, like you said, elite guards and Jared Butler, uh, especially averaging 17 points per game on 50% shooting, which is just – I mean, that's that's pretty solid. You got Davion Mitchell, former Auburn player, averaging six assists for him. Uh, it's just – there's they're a really good team top to bottom. It's going to be The thing is if they they specialize in their defensive guard play, so I think that if Sharif can get his, I think that we will have a better game. But if Sharif if Sharif plays like he did against Kentucky, I don't think we will. But if Sharif is playing like he did against, you know, Missouri, Arkansas, Alabama the first time, I feel like that it could get a little bit more a little closer, especially if a couple other guys step up, like we know that we uh, know that they can.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Sharif. I mean, as always, is going to be the key to the game. And you know, Kentucky was all about the name. I mean, they're a trash team this year, you know. So, like, mm-hmm. you- people may say, Oh, well, we won a game when against a good team when Sharif didn't play well. No, we didn't. Kentucky is absolute trash this year. They're probably not even going to make the NIT. I mean, they're getting waxed almost, I mean, regularly. They got swept by Bama, who, I mean, granted, is playing really well this year. But, I mean, other games, they're terrible. They've got their players crying on the sidelines, getting kicked off the team. Their fans are calling for Calipari's head. It's a mess up in Lexington. So, beating Kentucky – I mean, it's always good to beat Kentucky, but Baylor is not going to be like Kentucky, where if Sharif is just having an off day, that it's even going to be close to competitive. It's going to get real ugly real fast if Sharif is out with fouls or has to or is getting shut down.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of like, you know, you look at, You know, when you're playing Kentucky, like, these guys grew up playing basketball their whole lives. Like, a lot of the – you know, a guy like Sharif was offered by Kentucky. A guy like Justin Powell was offered by Kentucky. But a lot of these guys, like, they weren't. And that's like – that kind of sticks with them. So, they go into this game, they're like, oh, these guys didn't think I was good enough to play for them. You know, I want to to show them that I was. And it was the same thing with Duke uh, a couple years ago when we played them. But Baylor doesn't have that, you know. Baylor is just a really good team, but Baylor doesn't have the history, you know. Baylor's not a blue blood; they haven't been elite for multiple, multiple like they haven't been elite for decades. Like they, have been a really good team for the past two years. So it's kind of like going into that; it's not the same mindset as going into play Kentucky, going into play a Duke because you don't have, you don't have to get hyped for that, you know. You don't have to like be like, oh, these guys are really good. Like, oh, it's Duke, it's Kentucky. Like we know what they what they bring. So I think that's definitely a different approach that they're going to have, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it works. You know, you look at a Baylor is a team that aver- that they they average ten steals per game, which is really good. Because like if a team if a team turns the ball over ten times a game, like you're doing, you're that, that's pretty good. You know, like that's pretty good for and they're you. They're going to turn over more sure. than just steal. Exactly, more than just steal. So it's like the the thing is like. The last game the last team we played that averaged the the most turnovers, I believe it was Ole Miss. I don't know the exact number of turnovers that we had in that game, but it was a lot. That was not a good game. So it's kind of like, you know, can can we win this game with 12 turnovers, or is this going to be a game that we're going to have to try and win with 17? You know, because I think if we turn the ball over 17 times, I don't think we win this game. Will yeah, we turn the ball over both. Will we turn the ball over more than 10 times? Probably. But is it going to be like 10 or 11, or is it going to be like 17 or 18? And I think that's yeah. going to be the deciding factor of this game.
1: No, I agree. How, do you know how many turnovers we had last night? Uh, let me I'm check pulling right up here. the box score right now. Um,
0: it didn't seem super high, though. It did not. Uh, we've got, we turned the ball over 12 times to the team. Okay,
1: there you go. Yeah, I think 12 is about the number for pulling off an upset. We're not going to be able uh, – we can't turn the ball over 15, 17, 19 times um, unless we're turning them over too um, because that's 12 turnovers and having a you know career night of blocks on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, I felt like it was really weird last night. I feel like Auburn had a lot of blocks that didn't turn into turnovers. I felt like we blocked to, like, just totally lucky for Missouri that, like, so many of the blocks just got, like, swatted into the arms of a dude waiting and would just pop a floater or something. Um, So, obviously, you know, the ball, you can't predict which way the ball is going to bounce and all that kind of stuff. But I think if we get – we're going to have to get a lot of blocks that go our way to – and then really hope that the refs are letting them play. Because you saw when Auburn got in foul trouble last night and Allen playing again and Sharif Cooper couldn't be on the floor, it got real, real ugly, real fast. So here's to hoping that the referees are very conservative on the whistle.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, and Especially because guys like Sharif and Allen are guys where it's like they're probably both going to get at least one offensive foul every game just because of, like, when they drive, they drive with a purpose. They're going in, and if you're in their way, they're going to go through you, and you're either going to get a block or you get your feet set on time, and it's going to be a charge. But it's like when those guys are in foul trouble, they can't really attack the rim like they want to because they're worried about getting a foul call. So I definitely agree with that. You know, looking at the the rest, quick whistle will be uh, – will be an interesting. I will thing. say, I feel like typically in bigger games, like this is going to be, you know, nationally
1: televised on ESPN – number two in the country they typically don't have as tight of a whistle as you have on the tuesday night at 8 p.m game you Mm. know i mean it's just like it's the way it goes because they know at the end of the day it's all about the tv money you know you don't see a lot of games in the tournament with just like a super quick whistle because they know that's nobody wants to watch that they're usually more relaxed in tournament and bigger game environments
0: Well, and you also have to consider like the SEC refs are notoriously very whistle happy. Like you don't you don't you don't see forty you don't see like I believe it was seventy two total free throw shot between the two teams. You don't see that in any conference that's and you know, we're gonna be going into their house. So I I definitely think that the refs will be they will not be SEC. I think that it'll be a different different feel. But uh, so if you're done, I think we're we've kind of covered our basketball talk. Uh, Let's kind of shift our focus to football. Uh, The 2021 football schedule has been released today. Uh, We start week one with Akron, then go have Alabama State, Penn State, Georgia State, LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, bye week Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, South Carolina and Alabama. So, Wheeler, what were your initial thoughts about the uh, schedule?
1: Uh, Okay, first impression of the schedule, no fall weddings. Just don't do it. I've got a friend getting married in the fall. Thought it was going to be on the Alabama State game. Turns out it's on the South Carolina game. Just don't get married in the fall, kids. It's bad. It's bad luck to get married on an Auburn football game, I'm sure. It should be illegal in the South. It's just ridiculous why you would ever get married in the fall. Anyway, other than that, I think that the schedule actually filled out pretty well for Auburn this year. I think that it's one of the best, like, I feel like there's not like just a murderous row. I think probably the worst place that you're seeing is going to be the uh, at LSU followed by Georgia. Um, and I don't really think that there was a way that you could arrange the schedule any better than it was for Auburn. Yeah. Um I think it's great that we'll have Akron and Alabama state to start the year Um, because I mean, Auburn's got a whole new offensive system coming in a whole new defensive system. Um, You know, who knows what game day is going to look like again this year, if it's going to be normal game day. I mean, if so, then you'll think there's two classes of, so half of your players have never had a normal game day atmosphere. They haven't, had to do Tiger Walk. They haven't stayed in the hotel the night before. They haven't had to deal with, you know, 86,000 fans because all the freshmen this year obviously didn't have that because at 20% capacity, I mean, you've probably played in front of that many people in high school at mm-hmm. these bigger, you know, 6th and 7th grade schools. So that's a great way to get their feet wet so that we don't, you know, go trotting in to Happy Valley for, I'm sure, a whiteout game against Penn State in week one. Um, so happy that we have that. Those should be easy dubs. Um, Akron, I mean, at least Akron is a somewhat respectable. I mean, not really. I mean, they're a cupcake. Um, Alabama State, when they came and played in Auburn, I think it was in 2017. Actually, I take that back. Sanford was the worst football team I've ever seen roll onto the field in Jordan Hare Stadium. Alabama State was a close second. I wish those two schools would play because they do not belong on the same field as Auburn. It's honestly kind of scary watching the warmups. and I'm like, somebody's going to get hurt out there because they do not belong on the field. So that'll be an easy win. Uh, Penn State, honestly, Auburn caught them at a great time. You're going to have the name brand, but I don't think they're going to be you know exceptionally great. Uh, Georgia State. Are, now, Georgia State's the one that runs the triple option, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're um, correct. So, I mean, obviously, a little bit of a tricky game, but not the worst. Um, LSU. Hey, maybe this is the time. Maybe the new coach, uh, we finally break the curse of the cigars, because LSU looks like they're not going to be great this year. Uh, Georgia. We always play better at home. Uh, Arkansas. That's going to be a tough one.
0: Yeah, I I, I saw that game because you know you've so you. You know, you got LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, and the Arkansas. When I was kind of surprised that it was kind of a, you know, usually you just, I mean, ever since really, twenty sixteen, Arkansas has just been chalked up easily without any thought we're going to win that game. But this year, it's a little, little interesting. It'll be interesting to see by week seven. I can how see Arkansas them being ranked
1: by week seven. That's my hot take see. for the day. I could see Arkansas being ranked going into that October sixteenth matchup. Um, Convenient open week right there in the middle of your schedule after a three-peat of SEC games. Uh, Ole Miss, nah, I'm, I'm really not too concerned about that game. Um, obviously, they'll have a lot of firepower, but Lane Kiffin has just not shown the ability to have any semblance of defense. He didn't have it at Tennessee, USC, the Raiders, FAU, Ole Miss – the guy's never had it. I don't know why people think that all of a sudden here in 2021, Lane Kiffin's going to all of a sudden have a great defense. Like, he's just not. Um, Texas a and going to be really good this year. Um, Mississippi State is just an absolute train wreck of a program. I think this may be the year that the Pirate gets canned. I know it's only his second year, but if they're as bad as they were this year, again, next year, like – I mean, they beat LSU, and I think that got a lot of goodwill with their fans before everybody knew that LSU was trash. Um, they really went downhill, and then the fight at the end of their bowl game. I mean, Mississippi State football is not in a good, not, not in a good place right now. I mean, even when Gus basically knew he was getting fired and coached like he was getting fired, I mean, like almost didn't care. Auburn still ran him off the field, so I'm not concerned that honestly is about on the level of the Georgia state game um, at South Carolina, get to have redemption going back to the exact same place. Hopefully it's redemption, um, but they'll obviously be fired up. will know all their plays and stuff. Cause we hired their whole staff. So, uh, and then, Oh, we need to talk about that. The Tracy rocker leaving. Um, and then the iron bowl, you never know, but
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think we both have a a similar similar expectation of the Iron Bowl this year. I think that my so my my early prediction before I've seen any you know spring whatever, my early prediction is that that game will be somewhat similar, hopefully to the 2015 Iron Bowl, where it was like, yeah, we lost, yeah, it was at home. That team was really good. That Alabama team was really good. That Auburn team wasn't very good. And it was a competitive game. We didn't get embarrassed. You know, that that kind of thing. So, I feel like depending on what our record is and how the season has gone, I think that we'll have different expectations going into that game. But as of right now, Alabama's going to reload. They're going to probably be, you know, competing for the playoffs. I don't know if Auburn will be there this year. But uh, I do agree. So, this was something I was kind of – I was talking to someone about this earlier. So, after week four, when we're going into Death Valley, on a Gus Malzahn coach team, if Gus Malzahn had not been fired and Gus Malzahn was coaching in 2021, I believe that we would be 4-0 going into Death Valley. And I think that we probably lose to LSU in Death Valley because Gus Malzahn, it's Auburn. We don't win down there. I think that that's an L. So I think that we go five weeks into the season and we're four and one. I think that if Brian Harson starts the first five weeks of the season four and one or five and oh, it'll be a good start. But then you, so then you look, you've got Georgia at home, you've got Arkansas on the road, bye week, Old best. So those four, those four weeks afterwards, I think that if you can. If you can be Ole Miss in Arkansas as a first-year head coach, just you know getting your feet wet, I think that that is acceptable. I think that the only thing that the only thing that would make Auburn fans not super happy about this is if we go eight and four or nine and three with losses to Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and then possibly Texas A&M. I think that if Brian Harson is going to go nine and three, a loss to Penn State. Or if you lose to Penn State and Texas A&M, but you beat Georgia and LSU, I think that people are happy. As a first year, you go nine and three, beat two rivals, break a 20-year curse. I think that that is a good thing. But I think that people will get a little weary if you drop your game to the rivals and beat the other teams. Because then it's just like, well, that's Gus Malzahn, you know? Beat who you're supposed to. Don't beat your rivals unless it's your, you know, your one and five year, you know, good year so I think that I don't know though I think people would at least take uh losing to the
1: rivals if we at least beat South Carolina this year because last year we did neither of those that is
0: true but see that was I mean honestly that was one of the first years that Gus lost to a team he shouldn't have lost to and it was the year he got fired so uh but yeah I do agree uh the the last two weeks I think are I mean Mississippi State and South Carolina looking at this schedule like I think that it's the – you look at the two-week – I think that the – if you look at every game in two-week increments, I think that the buy and Ole Miss is tougher than Mississippi State and South Carolina. Like, I, I do not – I mean, both those programs are – I mean, Mississippi State is just an absolute train wreck. Nobody wants to play for them. The players there don't want to play for them. Mike Leach doesn't care. He thinks his players are terrible. Like, it's a train wreck. South Carolina, they lost pretty much their whole coaching staff. On a team that wasn't even that good to begin with, and all the best players are leaving. And I don't see South Carolina. transferring. Exactly. And the TV that shut down South Williams is leaving. I, I do not see South Carolina doing anything this year. So I think that that'll be, you know, I, I think that's two easy wins. I think that the three cupcakes are going to be wins, regardless of score. You know, I mean, 2017, we beat Mercer by 14, but still a win. I think that so that it's definitely five wins. Uh, and then, Let me just tell you: if Brian Harson goes out and
1: beats Akron by fourteen in Week One, it's not good. It'll be bad. It'll be great for the podcast. It'll be great for the Instagram. It's not going to be good for old Brian.
0: I definitely agree with that. It's not going to be. It's going to be a sad day if I'm walking out of Jordan Hair Week One after we beat Akron by fourteen points. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm I'm cautiously. <laughs> I am cautiously optimistic about this year with the schedule and the uh, hires being brought in. But, you know, mentioning hires, what were your initial thoughts on Tracy Rocker leaving Auburn University to go and join the Philadelphia Eagles? You know,
1: I'm
0: really torn on the thing.
1: Um, I was excited about the Tracy Rocker hire, um, mainly because I feel like – the main complaint that Auburn fans and former Auburn players have had has been that the Auburn football teams in recent years have been a little soft. Um, and Tracy Rocker is anything but soft. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was definitely going to bring an element of toughness. You see it throughout Harsin's, uh coaching staff hires and his strength and conditioning coach hires. And even in his press conference, I think even if Auburn does not get better at football and he does not develop the talent to make them better football players, the guy is going to at least develop mental toughness. You can tell that that's a very high priority of his. Um, so I was excited about that. Um, you know, as soon as he got hired, all the rumors started flying again about how he really didn't like recruiting at all. Um, And the rumors were kind of flying about him uh, leaving South Carolina without telling anybody. And as much as I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's kind of funny, it was like, "Mm, that's not exactly what you want to see out of a coach because that's not the – it's just not the classiest move. Um, So there were a a couple of red flags. I feel like really – Harson did a really good job with his staff for the most part. I think the only people that really got the red flags – um were at Rocker because of his recruiting thing, um, the strength coach and then the uh outside linebacker coach. And that was mostly just because people wanted to keep T Will. I understand, I really like T Will. I think uh he was a good coach. Obviously, you know, Coach Arson did not want to keep T Will. Um And I don't know what the situation with that was, why he wanted to keep Cadillac and not keep T-Will. It could have been that Tank said that he was leaving. If he didn't keep Cadillac, he was like, you know, I want to start my own thing, but like, I also don't want to start that low, you know? Exactly. Um, So, I mean, uh, I love Owen Papo and Jacoby McLean, great football players, but. You know, if they say they're walking out the door, it doesn't have the same pull as if Tank Bixby says he's walking out that door. Um, So, that was a little bit questionable. But, I mean, the guy that they hired instead of T. Will is not a bad coach. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he was a good recruiter. He was a defensive coordinator. So, it's not like we, you know, just hired some clown instead of T. Will. Um, And I think while T. Will may be a little hurt that he didn't get hired on, like, I think for his coaching – uh career, it's probably going to be better that he go and get a job outside of his alma mater and maybe he'll come back and be a defensive coordinator or a co-defensive coordinator in a couple years. Um obviously the strength coach has raised a lot of questions. Um I mean I just I graduated in exercise science so I'm very biased towards the you know being on the cutting edge of exercise And I think that there are strength coaches out there that mix the two, like Alabama is an example. And I hate, you know, giving them credit, but their guy is like one of the most innovative people in strength and conditioning. And so you can be innovative and still be an old school coach of like, okay, like we've had our innovative parts, but now we're going to like go run 10 gassers because it sucks and it hurts and it'll bring y'all together as a team. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. Um, but also I don't think that old school workouts, you know, are also the end of the world, you know? I mean, it's definitely a different philosophy than what science is kind of pointing towards, but I mean, people were big fast and strong and great athletes before all of this sports science stuff. Um, so right in, right. especially in college football, I don't know how much the sports science, I think in the NFL, it's much more important where everybody's yeah. a freak athlete, but I think in college sports, having mental toughness can honestly be almost more of an advantage than being slightly more you know technically sound in your lifts
0: yeah well and I do agree with that and you look at a guy like Herschel Walker who I mean you know all uh, incredible athlete incredible running back and he said that he did push-ups and sit-ups that was it he was like I didn't do anything special like when I wanted to get in shape I ran around When I wanted to get in shape, I ran wind sprints. When I wanted to get bigger, I did push-ups or sit-ups. So it was just kind of like, you look at a guy like that, and it's like, well, at the end of the day, you know, like the old school stuff, they did it because it works. And there are some things that you're not going to do because it's not as good for you. But, like, you also have to consider, this guy's not an idiot, you know? This guy is not some bum you bring in off the street who's just like, oh, we're just going to have him do push-ups and sit-ups and crunches and all that, and they're going to get big. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. So, like while he's old school, he's not just gonna be doing a bunch of stuff. He's still a coach,
1: he's still a certified strength coach that knows all of the but I do think it it'll be interesting to see Ryan Russell, Auburn did not have a lot of soft tissue injuries. And I will give him credit all day long. That man, while you know, people say the offensive line, you know, didn't look super tough, didn't knock people off the ball, he was able to prevent injuries, and I think that. More so than skill on the football field, the sports science has been able to get the injuries, mm-hmm. the soft tissue injuries way lower. And so I'll be interested to see if now that the guy is at Auburn, if he'll bring in some, you know, assistants under him who are more versed in the sports science thing to do injury prevention and try and mix, you know, um, I don't know. We'll see. I think it'll be interesting to see in spring practice and fall camp. That's something to look out for. Is you know how many soft tissue injuries are coming out of Auburn?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know another thing, building on what you said, with you know the fans kind of being, kind of being mad that uh that T. Will was not retained. Uh, do you? This is an actual question for you. Do you know when the last time Auburn had a first round pick as a linebacker?
1: First-round pick as a linebacker. I'm trying to think back. Let's
0: see, Josh Bynes is in the league, but he wasn't a first-round pick. He wasn't a first-round pick. So, it's like the fact – you know, you can keep thinking about it or, like, look it up. But, like, the fact that it's like both of us are kind of, like, drawing a blank with who the last one was. Like, Boise State put one 2018, you know, 19th overall pick in the draft, Leighton Van Der Esch, was one of the best – is one of the best linebackers in the NFL right now. So, it's like Brian Harson knows what a good linebacker looks like, what an elite yeah. linebacker looks like. So, it's like he knows, who, to, who, know, he knows like who he wants to coach him. And, like, yeah, T. Will's been putting, you know, first-team OSEC guys from Auburn. And, yeah, he was a great linebacker himself. And I think he was a great coach. I love the guy. But the thing is, I feel like people are treating Brian Harson like he doesn't know what he's doing because he's at Boise State. But it's like Boise State is a good – like – Boise State is one like they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Like Brian Harsin was a part of that staff, so it's like he's he, he's beaten Oklahoma in a bowl. Like when was the last time we beat Oklahoma in a bowl? Like when was the last time we, we got won- worked by Oklahoma in the bowl? Exactly. So it's like I, people. I feel like people are all like, oh, and this. All these people are like, oh, well, we're the Auburn Broncos. This is a terrible idea. Well, where do you think Gus got his staff? Like he got him from Arkansas State. Like. Any coach that comes in, they're going to bring people from where they coached at. And I feel like it's just been so long since Auburn's had to do this that we're not really thinking like, oh, this is what happens because it's been eight years since Gus Malzahn came to Auburn and brought his own staff. So I just think that it's something that people kind of need to – and that's kind of the mindset I've tried to have with it, that yes, there are guys we like, there are guys that are great coaches, but that's just not what they're trying to do. And we've never seen – uh, we have never seen to we have never seen t Wheel coach a 3-4 defense. Ever since he's been at Auburn, we ran a 4-3. That's not what we're going to run. So, it's like he doesn't coach the same style of defense that we're going to coach. So, it's like, so why would he – it doesn't really make sense, you know. Like, yeah. with Cadillac, it's like you're still going to run the football, you know. Like, that's not as different like, oh, like a style of running for a running back coach. Because the running back coach is going to teach him how to run the football. Whereas Unless the it's a triple option. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like a linebacker's coach is going to teach him – he's going to teach him how to play in the defense and how to play in the system and all of the defensive plays. We're not going to run any of the same defensive plays because we're not going to be in a 4-3 that often. So, I'm just – that's just kind of my my take on it. Uh, just kind of trust Harson, trust your head coach until he gives you a reason not to. Did you
1: look up before the show who the last first-round – Auburn linebacker pick was?
0: I did not, but I need to look that up
1: right now. No, I looked it up. So, trivia time, we haven't done it in a few episodes, and you will never guess who it is because it's a trick question. So, I'll give you two chances. Okay, so. Stop looking. Stop looking at your phone.
0: (laughs) The people on YouTube can see that you're cheating on me right now. They definitely can, and I definitely am. But, all right, I tried, I tried, I tried. I don't know. I truly don't. I know that it wasn't. I know that it did not come under uh, Gus Malzahn or Gene Chiswick. That's wrong. Who was it? D, uh, Ford. it was D Ford. Because what I told you, trick question.
1: Actual linebacker that ended up playing linebacker in the NFL was Takeo
0: Spikes. Okay, so it's been a very long time. My lifetime. D- I was one year or so old. I was one. Yeah. So like D, like you got you got to look like D Ford wasn't even like. He doesn't even – he doesn't even play any form of linebacker. Like, he, he's a DN. Like, he's an edge rusher. So, it's just like – so, you look at that and it's like, yeah, we've put in – we've had good college linebackers, but, like, what are they done in the NFL? They haven't been first-round picks. And it's just kind of like, you can be a great player and not have a good NFL career, but the guys that had a good NFL career and were drafted in the first round all had fantastic college years. So, I think it's just kind of like just a thing to monitor – you know, as Auburn fans, just kind of be have an open mind and know that Boise State is—it's not like Georgia State. You know, like just because it's not a Group of Five, it is one of the better, or just because it's not Power they Five, it is one of the –
1: elite football players at the NFL level.
0: Exactly, they win ten games often. Yes, it, it is a it is a good school, a good championship level program. I'm I'm happy with the guys that he's brought in. I think that he's going to have that the team's going to have a good mentality and i'm i'm excited to see what the future holds yeah me too but so that's about all we have uh we will come back on next week and we'll be talking about the baylor game hopefully the defensive line coach will be hired by them we can kind of talk about that a little bit but that's it as always if you have any questions well national signing day is tuesday right Yes, I believe so. So, we can talk about that a little bit. We'll probably
1: do some National Signing Day stuff
0: and go over the class. We'll probably do another Wednesday episode. Sounds good. But, yeah, as always, if you guys have any questions, feel free to DM the page and uh, War Eagle. War Eagle.